The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. If you would turn in your Bibles with me, let's see the book of Isaiah. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have uh, some in the seats in front of you. Um, in Isaiah chapter 6, it's on page 571, if you're wondering. What a, what a, what a beautiful song to, to transition into to speaking about the glory of God. Amen? Uh, I'm thankful to, uh, this morning to be here with you again. I'm here with you every week, uh, but I'm thankful to be here in front of you uh, this morning. I'm thankful that uh, the elders have asked me to, to fill in today and maybe a few other times uh, here coming up. Uh, I'm always uh, honored uh, and, and, and quite honestly a bit fearful when I open the word of the Lord, uh, to, to much less to read it, uh, but, but to uh, exposit it to you. And I hope I do that faithfully here this morning. Uh, so this morning I'm going to try to get through uh, the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, so if you, if, you, if you have your Bibles open there, let's go ahead and, and, and read that. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one said, uh, called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. So I was asked uh, to preach today, and I noticed on the preaching schedule, thankfully, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, 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 that Britt has a, has, a, has a schedule made out, uh, partly, uh, because part of, part of my task uh, was to preach whatever. So I called him, and I, or I, I texted him, and I said, hey, hey Britt, what, do you, what would you like me to preach? Would you like me to preach Old Testament, New Testament? Uh, would you like me to do something? And I know you want me to preach the Bible, so you can't say the Bible, the Sunday school answer. Um, and so he said, whatever's on your heart, preach that. Um, I didn't want to take our attention away from the theme that we're going through right now, the topic of, of uh, Christ applied. We're talking about salvation, justification, sanctification, preservation, and glorification. And so I come to you right smack dab in the middle of sanctification and preservation. Uh, and so, it, so as I thought about it, as I prayed about it, as I opened the word, this text came to mind. It came to, actually, it was in part of my scripture reading here recently. Uh, and, and I said, what a, what a beautiful text to preach when we're talking about salvation. And so, uh, as, as, I, as I read and as I studied, the, the glory of God just kept popping out to me through this. Uh, and I, and, 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 and what, a, what, a, what a beautiful text to display the glory of God. I'm putting my phone here, by the way, to give the illusion that I am going to pay attention to the time. Um, but I'll go ahead and warn you that that may not happen. So, um, but I'm thankful that, that I've been given the opportunity and I'm thankful that, that as we've just, we just talked about sanctification and seeing God's glory uh, fulfilled in us as we're made less and less like our old selves and more and more like Christ. And as we look forward to next week, as we learn about preservation and God getting the glory as he keeps us and the hope and the confidence that we have as he preserves us, uh, here we are as we open to Isaiah. Um, and I hope, hope what we see here is a, is, a, is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of God's glory. Uh, 
And we'll talk about it here in a second that, that God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness, which is why we're in Isaiah chapter 6. Because it's all about God's holiness. And that holiness, that glory, that beauty is manifested and is revealed in the salvation through Christ. Uh, and, and as we walk through the text today, I hope, my prayer, as I have, as I have studied this text, uh, I hope you will do this as well, is that you'll see God face to face, as Isaiah did, uh, and really see ourselves for who we are. Uh, so this isn't, now, this isn't meant to be an exhaustive um, sermon detailing God's glory. Um, if I did that, you would miss your lunch reservations, and you would miss probably the next three months of lunch reservations. Because God's glory is from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. God's glory is in there. And I'm going to tell you in just a few seconds, or a few minutes, um, uh, more about that. But uh, it would take the rest of our lives uh, learning about the glory of God. Um, and so before we begin, I'd just like to pray. I think that's important at this time. Lord, help us. Help us as we open up your word. Help us to see you for who you really are. Lord, your word is powerful. Lord, your word kills and it gives life. It convicts and it redeems. Your word is life. And so help me, Father, to speak your word with faithfulness with clarity, with authority, with passion, with wisdom, and with liberty. All for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, be gracious to me now. I pray in Christ. Amen. And so I took some, some time this past uh, week or so to just do a quick survey through Scripture uh, about the word glory or glorious. And how many times that word appears in some form or another throughout Scripture. Um, now, I didn't write I started to write them down. Um, but I got tired of writing stuff. And so instead of that, I just noted how many times it was, if you find it in Scripture. Uh, the word glory is used 358 times in over 328 verses in the English Standard Version. If you have a King James Version, it's over 400 times. Um, in other versions, it could be anywhere from 330 to 380 or so. And so there's something to tell us there about God's glory. By the way, glorious is used 46 times in the ESV. And it's important that we understand that there's a reason that God's glory or glorifying God or the glorious beauty of God is referred to so many times throughout Scripture. It's a theme, you think? Uh, and so let me just give us a quick little definition. This isn't a quick definition. I'm going to give us a long definition and a short definition for what is God's glory. Well, the answer to that question is as infinite as God himself. So, so I could never answer that question exhaustively. That would be absolutely impossible for me to do this morning. But I can give you some key aspects of God's glory as a definition. And they can be summarized as, as follows. The glory of God is the weight of the majestic goodness of God, of who he is, and the resulting name or, or, or the resulting reputation uh, that he gains from revealing himself as creator, sustainer, judge, and redeemer. He's perfect in justice and mercy, loving kindness and truth. And that glory that God has elicits praise from his people. Now that's the long definition. Uh, a short definition. You could also say that the glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That one's probably easier to remember. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. 
But even as we say that, you can't forget that we're trying to define God's glory, an infinite God, with our finite words. So even the word glory isn't good enough to define itself. (laughs) And so our words are are miserably inadequate when it comes to explaining the glory of God. Because the glory of God, that glory that we're speaking of, uh, is just ultimately beyond any comparison. Anything that we can comprehend. I believe, I like Brit, um, I like old dead guys. And there's an old dead guy from about the, the, the 300s. Uh, his name was John Chrysostom. Uh, wonderful, wonderful preacher. If you have a chance, look up his sermons. Uh, it was wonderful. He has a quick little quote. A God that can be comprehended is not a God. Um, and so remember that as we get through this text this morning. I have four, four quick points as we dig in here this morning. I'm not a slide guy, so that's my only slide. Um, uh, so you'll have to write. Um, God's, number one, God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. Secondly, it's all. Everything is for God's glory. Third, salvation is for God's glory. And fourth, Jesus is God's glory. So number one, God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. Now, it never fails for some reason. Every time I pick a text to preach or teach, I always come to these big texts, right? The texts that we've heard for so many years. If you grew up in church, uh, the heavy ones, the ones that you just know, right? Um, and so if you have grew up in church and you've heard this text taught or preached, you know that it's, it's in light of his holiness. Uh, and that's certainly what's obvious uh, to us as we, as we read this passage. And, and in all actuality, in order to stand, understand God's glory and salvation, we have to first grasp and understand his holiness, which is why we're here. And then, you know, it, uh, and that's all because his, like uh, the definition that I gave you, the title of this first point, God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. So read with me again the first four verses here. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And it was filled with smoke. To get a historical context of what's going on here, the, the, the timing of Isaiah's vision is very important. Um, we see that King Uzziah, if you know anything about King Uzziah from, from uh, uh, multiple places in Scripture, uh, if you go back to Second Kings, you know that King Uzziah had been a faithful. He was a man after God's heart, like David. Uh, and, and so he was faithful to God. For over 50 years, 52 years, I believe, he faithfully led uh, Judah. Now, the last couple years, the last few years of his reign, he gave in to his own desires, uh, and he was punished for that, and he died. And so here we have, we starts out, in the year that the king Uzziah died. Well, why is that important? They had just been faithfully led for 52 years by a man who loved God. They were prosperous. Uh, they had nothing really to fear. They had a wonderful uh, uh, defense system. Um, they, they, they had uh, animals and uh, crops and all of these things. Um, they, the Lord was good and blessed them in this way. And so King Uzziah died. And so there was unrest. There was worry. Uh, and now there was fear. Now that there was no ruler sitting on the throne. 
And Isaiah was right there with them. Because human kings die. And so what God does is he opens up a glimpse of heaven for Isaiah. Now what, a, what, a, what an incredible picture this is. Picture this for a second. Close your eyes and just picture this. God gives his prophet Isaiah a vision of the throne. And upon that throne, high and lifted up, he sees the Lord. It was, a, it was such a, again, feeble words. It, it was glorious, to say the least. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. The temple was filled with the train of his robe. And, there were, and, and then there were the seraphim covering their faces. Because even the seraphim couldn't look upon the pure and infinite holiness of the Lord. And so they cried out to one another, holy, holy, holy. The, the very foundation of the temple shook at the voice. It filled with smoke. We see the heavenly temple opened up to even the most holy of holies for Isaiah to see. Now, it's a, it, phrase, phrasing is very important. Now, in, in our modern culture, in our digital culture, um, we have things called fonts. I have a couple of fonts, different fonts there. Some are bold, gives an emphasis. You have italics to give some emphasis. You can use quote, quotes. Well, they didn't have that back there, back then. So in order to emphasize something, they repeated the word. Notice this. Holiness is the only attribute of God repeated ever in the triplicate. Holy, holy, holy. If you're familiar with, uh, uh, he's passed away now. One of my favorite theologians is R.C. Sproul. Um, he's a Presbyterian. We won't hold that against him. Uh, brilliant man. He's, he's faithful to the word. He was faithful to the word. Uh, but he has a, a, wonderful, a wonderful book and study uh, called The Holiness of God. Um, and it's all about God's holiness. And he points out this. He says, twice the Bible tells us that God is holy, holy, holy. We see that once here in Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. And then later on in Revelation, where it says, Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Think about that for a second. If, if God says something about his character once, that's enough to settle it. If, if when he says it twice, that's emphasizing it. But when he says it three times, that means it's of just supreme importance, right? Uh, the Bible never says... God is love, love, love. It never says he is just, just, just. Uh, he never says he is mercy, mercy, mercy. Uh, but it does say that he is holy, holy, holy. God's holiness is unsurpassed. His holiness is, is his unique and awe-inspiring splendor. He's completely and utterly, by the way, holy means set apart. And in that, God is completely and utterly set apart from everything else, everything. He is exalted. He is sacred. He is holy. And, and, and so in just, a, in just a little bit, we'll see God's, or excuse me, we'll see Isaiah's response to God's holiness um, but I want us to notice something else here. Isaiah writes to the seraphim are calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his, his glory. But why wouldn't he say holiness? They're calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his holiness. That would make sense. But they don't. They call out as full of his glory. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See here that the manifestation of God's superlative attribute, his holiness, is glory. Just as the, the, the train of his robe filled the temple, so does the, glo- the glory of the Lord fill the earth. The, the train of his robe filled the temple, but the manifested beauty of his holiness fills the earth. If you were to go back to uh, Exodus chapter 33, Moses desired to see God's glory in its fullness. He said this in Exodus 33, uh, chapter 33, verse 18, please show me your glory. Now, that's a pretty bold thing to ask the Lord of all creation. That's pretty scandalous. That's, that's, that's bold. Show me your glory, Lord. He pleads to God, show me your glory. And the Lord responds not by striking him down. He responds graciously. He says in verse 19, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then he goes on. The Lord says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. But here's where God's grace comes in. But God said, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while you stand on the rock and my glory passes by, I'll hide you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until my glory has passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back but my face shall not be seen. You know the story. He comes down after a little while. The people see him, and his face shone so brightly from simply seeing the back of the Lord. His face shone so brightly that the people were afraid to look on him. In fact, he had to veil his face while he was speaking to them. That glory, God's glory, is only of the Lord, and it belongs to him alone. Which brings us over to our second point, that all is for God's glory. There's a, there's a, there's a term in the song that was just saying, soli deo gloria. All for God's glory, for God's glory alone. You see, God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his glory. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And then if you back up a little bit in Isaiah 2, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that last day. The term that we just talked about, soli deo gloria, it means to God alone be the glory. Um, the universe and everything in it is mainly about the glory of God. Romans 11.36 tells us, from, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. This is the reason for all existence. You look around, you walk outside, you look around, all existence, everything that you see, everything that you perceive, everything that you feel, everything, all of it, is for God's glory including yours. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Catechism, I'm going to catechize you this morning, uh, has one of the, I I believe it's the second question. Uh, And if you know the answer, you feel free to just shout it out at me. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You were created Your very existence was solely for God's glory. All of existence is for God's glory. 
John MacArthur says this, the reason for our existence is to know and glorify God. The reason for creation is that God may be glorified. The purpose of the universe is to create a theater in which God can redeem a humanity that will be drawn into his presence to glorify him forever and ever. Everything is about glorifying God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Glory of God. Isaiah 43, 20. Even the beast of the field gives me glory. And so glorifying God is the purpose for everything. God puts his holiness on display for people to capture and to see and to behold. The psalmist in, in, in Psalm 19.1, this might have popped in your head already, says, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's the reason for all creation, is that God may be glorified. David, David draws our attention all the way back to Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, the heavens, yes, they include the clouds and our atmosphere, but they also include the stars and the planets. So day, we see the clouds in our atmosphere. By night, we see the stars, the moon. And so by day and by night, the heavens are preaching to us. God is continually shouting at us. He's saying, I am glorious. Open your eyes. Look at my holiness on display. And in this, the heavens reveal the one true God. Do you see it? Especially if you've been a Christian for a long period of time, it's, it's easy for us to, to not be awed by God. I fear that, that we fail in so many ways to grasp God's glory and his majesty. Uh, now, we can use the excuse that, you know, our human minds can't fully comprehend him, and that is absolutely true, yes. But, but don't get so comfortable in your walk with Christ that you fail to see the awe and the glory and the majesty and the beauty that is who God is. Because all of creation is just a continual explosion of the glory of God. And we should approach all of our life from how you sit here this morning to when you leave and you go to work or school. Our entire lives should be approached this way. I, I don't have this in my notes, but this just popped in my mind. One of the reasons I love homeschooling, we're, we're homeschoolers, is because so many times we get to just go to see nature and experience the beauty of what God has created. Our hope is that that creates this awe in our kids and it refuels that awe in us of who God is and how magnificent he is. Um, you might have heard of Albert Einstein. Now, Albert Einstein was not a Christian. He wasn't re religious in any way, really. Um, but there was a man named Charles Misner who was an American um, uh, physicist. He was, uh, if you're a scientist, you might have heard his name, Charles Misner. He was a, he's a leader in the, or was, um, in the, the realm of general relativity. Um, you don't have to know anything about that. But he did a commentary on Albert Einstein. Now remember, Einstein is not religious at all. But he paid attention to people around him. Misner says this about Einstein. He says, the design of the universe is, is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. He must have looked at what the preacher said about God 
and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen, Einstein the scientist, he had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined. And they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. Is that true in our lives? Are we blaspheming God by not giving the proper respect to his universe, to his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God created everything to give an, to give an inkling of the majesty of God. And even that is an understatement. Now, just one more thought about this and then we'll, we'll move on, but it, it's easy for us to live in this world in our busy lives in a, in a segmented way, if you will. Um, that is, you know, we, we choose to give God glory in some areas, uh, but not in others. Listen to me. If you're a Christian in this room, you don't give some of your time to God. And then other time to work or school or family. And then keep parts to ourselves. All of life should be lived in the presence of God. All of life should be lived to the glory and honor of God. This is what the Christian life is all about. You were created for this Now, you may have a different calling on your life. You may not be called to be a preacher. You may not be called to be a lawyer. You may not be called to stay at home with your kids. But every one of you, if you're a believer in this room, in fact, if you're a human in this room, you were created to glorify God. Now, Isaiah, I can't even fathom this. Isaiah was given such a high honor. What an honor that is to, be, to gaze upon the throne of the Lord. And when he did so, he saw the Lord for who he really is. Which brings us to our third point. Salvation is for God's glory. Starting in verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt. Is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now, remember that MacArthur quote I shared a little bit earlier? I actually skipped over a part of it. As he was speaking about all of creation created to give God glory, he made an interesting observation. As he's talking about, even the beasts of the field give me glory. He says the only rebel in the universe is man. God's most, I won't say favorite, we're very good. When God created man, he said this is very good, not just good. And we're the ones that have rebelled against him. So here's our great need. Our hearts are blind to the true beauty of the Lord. And until he opens them, the God of the universe, we have no hope. The God of the universe is so magnificent, so, so uh, sovereign, so glorious, and so loving that he not only created all things, 
and watched us rebel against him. But he had a plan to save us, to show his glory. So we're created for his glory. We rebel against him, but he had a plan to show his glory even more. See, God will have his glory. And we saw that everything includes uh, this made for his glory. That includes everything, including our salvation. That is true. That is such an infinite, perfect, and holy God saving a sinner like me. It is for my good, yes. But it's uniquely and exclusively for his glory and his glory alone. So we're going we're gonna to jump to Romans 9 for a second. Um, if you go to Romans 9, we'll just, we'll just read 22 through 24. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. Now, that's a whole other sermon series in those two verses. So I won't, I won't spend too much time here, but I want you to see something. Verse 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory, for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. He makes known the riches of his glory by saving those who he prepared beforehand for glory. Glory, 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 glory. He initiates, he keeps, and he sees our salvation all the way to completion for his glory. God allowed Isaiah to see the holy of holies. And his response was not wow. His response was woe. Woe is me, for I am lost. Other translations say I am ruined. My favorite is I am undone. Broken. Because he sees himself as he truly is. What if, what if we only had the, the proper understanding of ourselves in the church today? That is, to, to truly see our sin for what it is in the light of a perfect and holy God. Instead of a, a, a seeing our, our, our man-centered view of sin... Which is to say that there's, there's different levels of sin. The little white lie I told isn't as bad as that dude over there serving a life sentence for murdering somebody. If you sin against a rock, that's not sin. If you sin against another human, then you're guilty. But if you sin against a perfect and infinitely holy God... You're infinitely guilty and deserving of an infinite punishment. Isaiah says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so as we understand God's holiness, we'll see ourselves how Isaiah saw himself. Filthy, diseased, unclean. You go to Ephesians, dead. Now, if I stopped here, we would be in trouble. And if we were left in that state, if Isaiah was left in that state even, he, he truly would have been ruined 
lost. He just gained access to the Most High and beheld the glory of the Lord. And he was undone. And then in one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture of forgiveness, God provided an atonement. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. A.W. Pink says this, God's holiness is manifested at the cross. Wondrously and yet most solemnly does the atonement display God's infinite holiness and abhorrence, that means hatred, pure hatred of sin. And God's hatred of sin, because he's an infinite God, His hatred of sin is infinite. He abhors it, as Pink says. And because he's an infinite God who has an infinite hatred of sin, he had to pay an unpayable price himself for it. And he did that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's glory. Um, Let's turn to John chapter 12. Fourth point here, Jesus is God's glory. John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 36, and I'll just read down to, to 43. How about that? While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be... uh, be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God notice what is said here John is commenting that Jesus' ministry fulfills Isaiah's prophecy Uh, we didn't read this it's not part of our text today but if you go Isaiah 6, 9 and 10 That's that second part in verse 40 in in chapter 12 of John. Jesus fulfills Isaiah's uh, prophecy. And he's also saying, if you notice there in verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who did he see? He saw the pre-incarnate Christ upon that throne. He met, he himself, Isaiah met the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God himself. You see, Jesus is the most tangible definition of God's glory. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus' life, what he stood for, why he died, how he loves you, All of these things are the summation of his glory. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. 
Charles Spurgeon said this, in holiness, God is more clearly seen than in anything else. Save, that means accept, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord, whose life, uh, of whose life such holiness is but a repetition. That, that there, Jesus Christ, this is the hope that we proclaim because the glory of God has been revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the, night, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. And then if you go on after, uh, in John, just a couple chapters over, John 14, Jesus, Jesus actually rebukes Philip. You remember this? Philip's one of the 12 disciples. And Jesus rebukes him a little bit in love. When, he, when Philip asked a similar question to the one that Moses had asked, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And then Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So why does Jesus rebuke Philip and yet God obliged Moses, uh, Moses' plea? It's because the glory of God is standing right in front of him. And the glory of God that's standing right in front of him is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't you see, Philip? I'm right here. Colossians 1.12 tells us that Jesus, he is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. This is, a, this, is a, this is just a perfect time of the year for this text. How many, how many Christmas carols do we know that say, Glory, Gloria, over and over and over again, we proclaim the glory of the Lord? Or do we? Do we take that word for granted? Do we understand that word? And, and again, like the song that was saying on that bleak midwinter's night, on that cold winter's night, God's glory came manifest in the person of Jesus Christ as he, as he condescended off his throne to dwell with us on earth. Emmanuel, God with us. And as he did so, Luke 2 says, tells us that suddenly there was a, a multitude there was with the angel a multitude of a heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among uh, those with whom he is pleased. Um, last old dead guy that I'll quote here, Ezekiel Hopkins, a wonderful old Puritan preacher, um, says this, God knows no higher design than his own glory. And Christ coming into the world was for the accomplishment of that design. A man can desire no greater happiness than what follows, peace and goodwill. And guess what? Both of these are born into the world together with Christ. And so woe to us. We are a people of unclean lips. But God, my two favorite words actually, But God has provided atonement for my sin. And he's provided atonement for our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. 
And the blood of Jesus Christ will wash clean every sin-stained heart in order that we might be presented, that we might be presented holy and blameless and above reproach for him. For now what we see, we see in a mirror dimly. But there will come a day when we see him face to face just as he is. Moses had to be hidden between the cleft and the rock. Isaiah just caught a momentary glance and even that he didn't see his face. He saw the veil filling the temple. But both Moses and Isaiah now know the full riches of his glory. And if you know him, your hope, the hope that you cling to is that your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for by the glory of him who created all things, Jesus Christ, the glory of Christ. And one day, you will know the full riches of his glory also. And so as we leave here, may you know him. May you love him. And may you give glory to him that's due his name. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, and it's all for the glory of God alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we truly cannot fathom your holiness, but we know your goodness. We experience your goodness by the salvation that's given to us, that's granted to us by your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that this text would pierce our hearts that those who don't know you would come to know you through your son. That as we look at our own sin in light of your perfect holiness, that we would be broken. So Lord, we confess, we repent. We, we want to turn from that sin. We want to turn to Christ. Show us your glory. In Christ we pray. Amen.